You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our text today is taken from Proverbs 3, beginning in verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments, for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. This is the word of the Lord. Well, remember that the Proverbs are about growing in the skill of living, living well. And Proverbs 3 shows us that living well depends on tending to our own hearts. Everything, including a wise life, flows from the heart, and particularly a heart that is centered upon the Lord. Verse 1, let your heart keep my commands. Verse 3, write them on the tablet of your heart. Verse 5, trust the Lord with all your heart. So clearly the heart is a central theme and idea in this proverb, and I would argue a central theme in all of the Proverbs. For the biblical writers and the ancient world, for that matter, the heart was seen as the center of a person's being. It's what controls your physical body, your facial expressions, your countenance, your tongue, what you say, your hands, your movements. It's what controls your emotions, such as courage and fear and joy and affection and sorrow. It's what controls your spiritual life, such as worship, adoration, sin, faith, hope. It's what controls your relational capacities, your care for others, empathy, love, hatred, envy, compassion. And because of the centrality of the heart and its impact on your physical, emotional, spiritual, relational activity, it requires careful attention. As Adam and Eve were called to cultivate and to keep, to care for the garden, so we are instructed here to, as as Dallas Willard put it, to keep a carefully cultivated heart to tend to the heart that God has entrusted to us. And I believe that a carefully cultivated heart involves four things that we see in this passage, watching, wearing, writing, and walking. So let's look first at this first theme of watching. Look with me again in verses one through two. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Keep 
my commandments. This word keep is a really important word here because it means so much more than to just have something in your possession. It means to guard. It means to protect. It means to watch over. In fact, it's the same word used elsewhere in scripture to describe the watchmen who would guard the walls of the city of God late into the night. Those who would keep their eyes alert in the dark, watching for those invaders that creep in the night. So the author of Proverbs here is giving the reader an image. He is giving you and I an illustration about our own life, that the heart must watch over the truth that it has received. It must guard those truths because there are dangers that lurk within seeking to undermine it. Now today, we tend to think of the world as evil, bad, broken, and sinful, particularly conservative Christians. The world out there is bad, but then our hearts are delicate and needing to be protected. And we often take this paradigm and import it onto the idea that we are to guard our hearts. World bad, heart good, so I've got to guard my heart from you. You're putting off bad vibes over there, I'm, putting, I'm guarding my heart. You're needy, I'm guarding my heart. You're, you're this, I'm guarding my heart from you. But the Proverbs don't just encourage us to be watchful about what's out there, but also what's within. Okay, listen to how the early church described the heart. The heart itself is only a small vessel. Yet dragons are there and lions There are poisonous beasts and all the treasures of evil. There are rough and uneven roads. There are precipices, but there too is God. And the angels, life is there. And the kingdom, there too is light. And there are the apostles and the heavenly cities and the treasures of grace. All things lie within that little space. So yes, the truth of God's word is hidden in our heart. Yes, for the Christian We have the Holy Spirit who resides within us. And like the Spirit in the creation account, he is brooding over the chaos, bringing order within. We have the life of the kingdom, but there is still sin. And there's still the flesh, and there still is daily temptation. And like the garden, we are often tolerating things that slither within. Now, some of you may remember a TV series that I'm not necessarily recommending right now, but a TV series that aired from 2007 to 2015 called Mad Men. And it was a story of an advertisement director named Don Draper. He was wildly successful at marketing both products and brands, as well as his own false persona, this person he was pretending to be. And as handsome and as smooth As he appeared to be on the outside, this is a mess of a man. He is an absolute train wreck who is a threat to himself and a threat to the people around him. Now, an author, uh, like a cultural commentator, if you will, named Ruth Franklin wrote this. We are all Don Drapers, obsessed with selling an image rather than, listen to these words here too, rather than tending to what lies underneath 
Draper's fatal flaw is lack of psychological awareness. He is at once perfectly tuned to the desires of America and entirely out of touch with his own character. He knows what everyone else wants and desires and how everyone else thinks and yet totally out of touch with who he is himself. Wisdom depends on thorough knowledge of God as well as thorough knowledge of yourself, which requires tending to what lies beneath the inner man, the inner woman. Being watchful is another way of saying being self-aware, aware of your shortcomings, aware of your unhealthy thought habits, aware of the emotions that often control you, aware of the desires that are driving you, aware of the behaviors that are just simply not leading to peace and prosperity in life, as the Proverbs describe. And while we're talking about watching, we need to remember that it's only through the eyes of others that we can get an accurate view of ourselves. Verse four describes our life as being lived, quote, in the sight of God and man. We live every day in the sight of God and in the sight of man. We are under the watchful eye of God and we are under the watchful eye of others. Now what I have noticed over the last decade or so is a huge pendulum swing where we as a people have gone from obsessing about what everyone thinks about us well, what are they thinking or what are they going to think about me? To now we are on the opposite side of the spectrum where we don't care about what anyone thinks about us. We don't care about anyone's opinion. And if anyone has opinion that is contrary to what we believe to be our truth, we reject it completely. So my advice pastorally 10 years ago was like, you need to care less about what people think. And I'm being honest today. I'm like, you need to care more about what people think. Like you have people in your life for a reason. And there are many things that we can't see about ourselves. They're called blind spots for a reason. Now, there are times where I can just feel Michelle, my wife, sitting next to me looking at me. You know that feeling? You're just like, I know you're looking at me. And I know what she's doing. She's fixated on something that I have missed in the mirror, like a hair that is growing where it ought not grow, right? Like she told me yesterday, you need to go pluck that. Go pluck that out. (laughs) Or like a blemish or or like something like that I just couldn't see myself. We need need God's truthful assessment in our life. And, And hear me correctly, God's voice in your life matters most. But we also need the honest input of our community speaking into our lives, pointing out our blind spots, asking us hard questions about our thought lives, helping us to keep a watchful eye over the condition of our hearts. For as the Proverbs will say later in Proverbs 11, in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. You are a sitting duck alone. But among a multitude of counselors, there is safety practically, but also spiritually watching. Number two, a carefully cultivated heart involves swearing. Look with me in verse three. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. 
Now, I think that this is going to be lost on maybe most of the generations that are represented here, but there was a time where people wore lockets, a small decorative piece of jewelry that would be worn around the neck that would contain a keepsake, something of sentimental value. Maybe it was a picture of a loved one, your beau, over fighting a war overseas. Or maybe a, a piece of hair. Don't ask me why. I don't know why, but that was a thing. Um, a, I'm sorry if you have a piece of someone's hair on you right now. Um, a ring, a love note, something important, something of sentimental value. And there is something internal about this, and there's something external about it. The idea is that you would keep this person that you cherish most close to your heart. It would be on and touching your bosom. And so whenever you're sad, whenever you're lonely, whenever you're discouraged, you would feel them against your heart and it would fill you with love and affection. So there's this internal element, but also externally, it would communicate love and loyalty towards someone, right? Just like a wedding ring, this is communicating a public symbol of love that I am accounted for, that my heart belongs to someone else. And so the Proverbs teach us that we should cherish what we should cherish most and adorn ourselves with most is steadfast love and faithfulness. Now here's the question. Whose steadfast love and faithfulness are we talking about here? Are we talking about God's steadfast love and faithfulness towards us or are they referring to our steadfast love and faithfulness towards God? And the answer is yes, both. Like in a loving relationship, like in a marriage, for instance, this is describing mutual loyal love that we are to keep closer to our hearts than any other love. Now, we have a phrase today that goes like this, that so-and-so wears their heart on their sleeve. They just wear their heart on their sleeve, which means, like, quite basically, that what is happening inside can't be hidden and they, they display it to everyone else. Their inner person, their inner emotions are often being displayed to other people. We, we, we normally say that negatively, but I think that this proverb is actually challenging that. Here we are instructed to wear our hearts around our neck. That the love of God for us and our mutual love for God shouldn't be hidden. It should be the centerpiece of our lives. It should be close to our heart, closer than anything else in our lives, but it also should be the thing that captures the eyes of others. God's steadfast love and faithfulness towards us and our loyal love towards him should be the, the thing that is most evident in our lives, evident in our actions, evident in our words. I am accounted for, I am claimed by the love of God. Verse four. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. So this, what this passage is talking about is reputation. Your reputation. This, is, this should get you to think about what is my reputation? What, I want, what do I want it to be? Let steadfast love and faithfulness be what you are known for. Let it be what you're remembered by. Let it be your lasting legacy. Now, in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul would write to Titus and describe the process of adorning the doctrine of God the Savior. And I love this illustration, adorning, being adorned with the doctrine, the truth of God our Savior. 
And so here's a question for us today. What do you adorn your life with? How are you adorning yourself? Paul would say, don't let it be like jewelry and gold and fancy clothes and fine linens and all these like showy displays of wealth and prestige and status. No, let it be the doctrine of God. So what is it that we adorn our lives with? Instead of being so concerned about our appearance or our physical fitness or our nighttime skin routine, or our hair, or our clothing, or the brands that we wear, or the car that we drive, or those little letters next to your name at the bottom of your email, and on and on. We are to adorn ourselves with the doctrine of God, which means displaying the truth of the gospel, the steadfast love of God that is displayed most perfectly in his son, Jesus Christ keeping that close and keeping that always before us. So a carefully cultivated heart involves, secondly, wearing. Number three, a carefully cultivated heart involves, you guys still with me? Writing. Writing, verse three. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Now, the writer of the Proverbs, presumably Solomon here, tells us the great, one of the greatest threats that we have against our heart and against a, becoming a wise person. And he actually mentions it in verse one. My son, do not forget my teaching. So our greatest danger being presented here in the proverb is our own forgetfulness. That is the danger that we face today. And I find that interesting because this is not addressing people who are ignorant to God's word, who do not know and are not familiar with God's wisdom and the wisdom literature found in scripture. He is speaking to those who are familiar with it. And this is important because those who are most familiar are most in danger of forgetting. Those who are most familiar with God's wisdom are in danger of forgetting. So don't assume upon these teachings. Don't forget it. Don't think that because you were raised in the church. Don't think that because you've read through the Bible. Don't think that because you've read through the Proverbs before. Don't think that because you've even studied the Proverbs in depth that you have somehow arrived at a place of being biblically wise and knowledgeable. And now somehow you are ready to move on. If you think you're ready to move on from God's word, you are in serious danger. No, he says, write them on the tablet of your heart. Or as the message translation reads, or a message uh, ab abbreviation, or what would a better word be? Well, anyways, the message says this. Carve, your, uh, carve their initials on your heart. So imagine like a tree, and you probably shouldn't deface property like this, and I think it's bad for trees. But anyways, imagine taking like a pocket knife and carving initials on the tree. The tree. This is what the, the writer of the Proverbs is getting at. Carve them into your hearts. My dad, uh, one of the most organized people I know, he will never let you down when it comes to something on the schedule, a date, a time, a call, an appointment, a kid's sports game. I could call him up today and say, I need a pickup from the airport at 11.54 p.m. November 13th. And with no reminder, he'd be there. Very reliable person. 
But what I've realized over the years as I've struggled with my own memory is I've realized my dad actually doesn't have a great memory. My dad does not have a great memory. He is a responsible person because he has a thorough system of remembering. When I was a kid, it was sticky notes. Sticky notes everywhere. I would anticipate sticky notes in my dad's car, on the center console, on the steering wheel, above where you, you, know, you read your miles per hour. It would be on his briefcase. It would be on his desk. It would be on the mirror in the bathroom. Sticky notes everywhere. Now he has advanced a little bit. He's gotten rid of the sticky notes. It's more like digital and technological and all that sort of thing. But he has a system for remembering so that, and here's the point, what is important remains important. Like we cannot just live our lives always saying, well, I just forgot. If it's important, you will make it important. If you have a bad memory, you will form a thorough system of remembering. So what is your system of remembering? And I'm not talking about dates and appointments and those sort of things. I'm talking about the truths of God's word. God's character, God's commands, God's wisdom. And really, what we as a church press is spiritual disciplines. I will confidently say I believe that every believer should have spiritual disciplines where they are engaged in God's word and in prayer every single day. And putting into practice what we know, forming it into our lives so that we're becoming more and more like the Jesus that we worship. And what we do through spiritual disciplines is we are writing God's word onto our heart. When you wake up in the morning and you like wipe the little crusties out of your eyes and you look at the page and your eyes go blurry and you're like, what am I doing? What am I doing? I am writing God's word on the tablet of my heart. I am storing God's word in my heart as the psalmist says so that I may not sin against him. I am pressing what is most important down into the center of my being so that I become more like him. And I think that this is really getting at the heart of success that the author of Proverbs talks about here. I think in the church today, we probably avoid the word success because it feels like prosperity gospel language, but the Proverbs talk about success. Well, what is he talking about here? One author wrote this, success is nothing more than a few simple disciplines practiced every day. While failure, or let's borrow a Proverbs word here, while foolishness is simply a few errors in judgment repeated every day. Listen to me, you are not, and your life is not the sum total of just a few big, epic decisions that come every decade or so in your life. Our lives are marked by the little overlooked things that we repeat day after day after day after day. The late um, Tim Keller told an illustration that I I love, I've shared this before. He talked about the gospel as dynamite. And it's actually not a stretch, this illustration, because in Romans chapter one, Paul says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. The word is dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. It's explosive power. And so he said, imagine a road construction crew out in the forest. They're, 
they're, they're creating a new road, a new highway through the forest, and they come to this large boulder that is just too, too big to move. It's simply too big. And they decide they gotta blow it up. And he essentially said there's two ways to try to blow up this boulder. One is to strap a bunch of dynamite to the surface of it and detonate it. And what you're gonna get is a loud explosion, fire, smoke. You may rock the earth a little bit. It's gonna be very explosive. But what's gonna happen is just gonna shear off little portions of the surface. The boulder is still gonna be there. He said the other option is to drill down into the core of the rock. Drill down into the core of that boulder, push dynamite into it, and detonate it, which is going to have, obviously, the most impact. And the application is this. Many of us are only experiencing surface-level change in our lives. Many of us are only experiencing surface-level Christianity because we have not pressed the truths of God's word and more specifically the truths of the gospel which I will explain in just a moment down into the core of our hearts. We have these flashbang experiences. Maybe for you Sunday morning is your sort of like explosive moment where you just feel built up and then you're just like barely crawling throughout the week. Or maybe it was as a kid like a youth camp experience, this mountaintop experience but it's surface level because it's not getting down and affecting our whole being. In verse eight, the writer of Proverbs describes healing in our flesh and refreshment in our bones. That's a way of describing surface level transformation as well as the inner kind, deep into your bones. And so we, as God's people, have to press the truth of God deep into our hearts and listen, often, often, because as this proverb anticipates, we forget. We forget who God is. We forget who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We forget our identity in Christ. We forget who we now are in Jesus Christ. And I have realized that I am in danger of this, even in pastoral ministry. I read a lot. I'm constantly trying to learn more and more about God. There's probably not a day that goes by in my life where I'm not speaking to someone about the truths of the gospel, but I realized something was happening in my own heart. I realized that there was a shift that happened where I began to take for granted my prior knowledge of the gospel just sort of leaning on what I have always known to be true about the cross and not revisiting the gospel. And I realized it was causing a breakdown in my life. It was causing a breakdown in the way I communicate. It was causing a breakdown in the way I relate. It was causing a breakdown even in my own self-awareness. And that I was gonna need to re-familiarize myself with the good news again and again and again and again. I was gonna have to take serious writing it on the tablet of my heart. And when I say the gospel, I mean the good, faithful story of Jesus, the perfect son of God, who lived a life of righteousness that was required of all humanity and in our place so that the righteous requirements of God could be fulfilled in us. He was condemned and crucified on the cross as our substitute. He died a a brutal death that we deserve. He carried 
the weight of all of our sin, past, present, and future. He bore the punishment and the wrath that was reserved for us. I need to press in that truth of his vindication and Jesus' victory over death in his resurrection that has secured our eternity and our new life and even new hearts within us that love and obey him. I need to press in the truth of his ascension where Jesus right now is seated at the right hand of God as king over all creation. And we through faith are seated with him in the heavenly places. I need to press down the truths of eternity and Christ's promise return where he will bring the kingdom of God in all of its fulfillment to renew all of creation, my life included. I need to press that truth deep into my heart and I would venture to say so do you. You do too. One of the beautiful benefits that we have because of the new covenant, which gives us new hearts, Ezekiel would describe, is that we also have the Holy Spirit who is making sure that God's word finds its home in us. What is the Spirit doing right now in the life of a believer? What is he doing? What is the third person of the Trinity actively at work to do in you right now? He is making it his aim to make sure that God's word abides in you. That it's deep into your heart in a transforming way and he is then giving you the power and grace to respond in faith and obedience. Uh, the Apostle Paul would say in 2 Corinthians chapter three, he describes this written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone. What's that a reference to? the law, the Ten Commandments, but on the tablets of human hearts. What's Paul doing here? He's borrowing from the Proverbs. He's borrowing from this passage and showing us that we cannot do this alone. We need the ministry of the Holy Spirit so that God's word truly abides in us in a transforming way. Amen? Finally, you thought I was done, walking. A carefully cultivated heart involves Walking. Now, we touched on this during our Sola series a few weeks ago, especially when we talked about the topic of faith. Faith is not just thinking right thoughts about God. Faith is so much more than your positive thoughts and feelings towards God. Faith is described as a total reorienting of our lives around God. Faith is a move in a new direction, drawing near to God through faith in Jesus Christ. And we see that all throughout, but we see that connection being made in the passage that we're looking at today. Look with me again in verses five through seven and look intently for that connection between belief and movement. Verse five through seven. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean. So here's a movement word. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Ways, paths, leaning, turning, movement. It's movement. So trusting in the Lord means a movement of faith, putting one foot in front of the other, towards the way of Christ. 
It's described here as moving away from our own understanding and our experience. Now, does that mean that we throw away our experience? No, but it means that we don't rely on it. It means that we don't place the weight of our heart on our own experience. That would be foolish. He describes turning away from sin and evil. That's another way of describing repentance. Turning away from something and toward life in Christ. He describes walking in nearness with God. The word here is acknowledging. We, again, we think of acknowledging as cognitive. I think about God, but here's that word that I introduced you to you in the first week in the Proverbs, yada, which is experiential knowledge. Adam knew Eve and she bore a son. It means intimacy with God. Acknowledging God means staying near to him, in lock and step with him, locked arms with him, close to God. So the vision here isn't just offering God your heart. He cares about your sentiments, but he cares about so much more than just offering him like a sentimental wish. It's about trusting God with your path. It's about submitting the direction of your life to him, your plans, your future, your goals, your pursuits. I've had a lot of conversations with people lately where I think it's evident that in our church, a lot of people are feeling lost and disoriented. There are a lot of people that have questions about like what's next in life, what their future entails, where should I work? Where should I be living? Who should I marry? Where should I be? What should I be doing? Or even these questions we're having with our children. Like, what are our children becoming? What school should they go to? Who should their friends be? Like, when, when is the appropriate time to give them a cell phone? Like, all these questions about the future and the future, what to do next, what is coming next. But I want to remind you from this passage that your job And I guess I want to speak particularly to the fathers today. This is for everyone, but particularly the fathers. Your job is not to figure out the future. God is not asking you to be 10 steps ahead. God's not even asking you to be one step ahead. And here's the hard truth. God has not promised to make your future clear to you now. He's not promised to tell you about it. What he's promised here is to make your your path straight. And so your responsibility is to simply trust him with your next step today. Step forward into the next right thing that is right in front of you, trusting that this good God who is your father, that he is for you, that he goes before you, and that he's with you always. Trust the Lord with all of your heart, and he will make your path straight. Amen? Amen. Let's, let's pray. Uh, Father, we thank you.